Welcome to the Embodied Love Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Grant. In this show, we'll be exploring all things love, relationships, and the creative fulfillment of living a life on purpose. If you're someone who wants to leave this world a little better and really make the most out of your human experience, you're a creative, a lover, a human who is here to embody the full essence of love, this podcast is for you. Join me for conversations about the real stories, lessons, and mistakes that make up a life well-lived and a human well-loved. Let's dive in. Well, hello, friends. Welcome to 2024. We have a new season, a new year, same me, <laughs> and uh, I'm excited to be here with you today, whenever you're listening to this uh, in space and time, welcome, it is so wonderful to have you here, if this is your first taste of the podcast, well, you're in for a treat. And if you are a seasoned listener, welcome back. It's really nice to to be in flow with you. So let's just do a little recap because some pretty big things have happened in the last little while. And we're not going to dive into all of it today, but I wanted to dive into to a piece that was pretty significant for the last, well, the last two months, really. And that is, I had a couple posts go really viral on Instagram, which was really fun. And I've been having a blast. And, you know, there's an element to this of, I just got to a point with my content where I was like, fuck it. I want to make the things that I want to make the way I want to make them. And that's it. You know, I, I was feeling like there was a density and a seriousness to the content. And that was a reflection of kind of where I'd been at personally and things that I had been going through. And then it just got to this point. And for those of you who don't know, I have a Leo sun and a Scorpio moon. And so sometimes these two energies, well, they're very different energies, right? So like the Leo sun is this jovial, playful, like let's be silly and have fun. And then the Scorpio moon is like, we feel things so deeply <laughs> and we need to like go to the underbelly of it all and feel it all. And don't get me wrong. I love both of these parts of me. But what happens when one part dominates and they're not in balance is that I start to feel a density in my system. So that's what I always know that I've been leaning too far on one side of my, my energy. And so the, the Scorpio deep, feely, <laughs> underbelly parts had just had their time. Like, I mean, let's be honest, like being in the pandemic, there was a lot of that. And there's a lot of things that I had to navigate in the last four years that have been really challenging and painful and emotionally dense. There's been a lot of fucking processing. And don't get me wrong, I love a good process sesh, but I'm like, okay, it's time to come back up for air. Like my inner lion is like, let's, let's go. It's time to, it's time to pounce. It's time to play. Let's have some fun. And I could see like this shift that wanted to happen in my online presence and in the way that I was even presenting content. And so I just started making memes for myself. Like if I find this funny, it's going on the internet and I'm going to use this as a teaching moment. And what I love about the flow that I found is that, you know, the meme is like the joyful, jovial, playful, sassy, 
you know, lioness kind of energy. And then, then in the captions, I do some deeper teaching. So I'm not ignoring the deeper parts of me, the threads that are really emotional and um, really love like the interconnectedness of everything and want to see how it all fits together in this cosmic puzzle. Like I love that part of me too. And so I found a way to merge these two energies in a way that lights me up. Uh, like I kid you not, when I spend time making these, I'm just laughing hysterically. Like there are some that just make me laugh so hard and I'm like, I cannot wait. I cannot wait for this to be out in the world and other people get to laugh and enjoy this, you know, expression of my creativity. But at the same time, for those who are ready to like really hear the deeper threads and the deeper message, there's an opportunity for them to do so as they read the caption. And so it's been really cool to see this take off. And, you know, when things like this happen, it's always a reminder to me that as a creative, you know, your sweet spot is always where you're going to be most, like the spots where you are most authentic. So, and this is tricky because um, as a creative, and whether you're an artist or not, it doesn't really matter, but people who are creating their lives intentionally, whether you're an artist, a musician, a filmmaker, a writer, a poet, a movement artist, a food artist, like uh, it doesn't really matter what your medium is. Being a creator is more a way of being and a way of perceiving reality. And I just freaking love being in this pocket of identifying as an artist and identifying as a creator first and foremost. And, you know, what I've noticed most is things really start to build some nice momentum when we are creating in the pocket of our authenticity. So we're not making things because we think it's what other people want to see or hear or experience from us, but we're just doing the thing that is most true. It's most authentic to us in the moment. It's the thing that brings us to life, and then we gift that to the world. And where this can get challenging is at first, when we begin this journey, there's this inevitable period of time where your old connections look at this transition that you're making and they're confused by it. They don't get it. They think you're fucking weird. Um, they may even try and like pull you back into your old ways of being. It's very crab in the bucket sort of energy. You know, when the one crab is like about to like leap over the edge and be free, the other crabs in the bucket are like, oh, fuck this shit. That one's not getting out. If he's getting out, like, no way. That means we're all stuck in here. So instead of working together to literally tip the bucket where all of them could be free, what they do is they band together to pull that one crab back in. And this is what happens when we go from a community or a group of people, or a family system of people who are not creators, and they are not living their life intentionally, they are not creating their days intentionally, they are not creating the thing that they want to see in the world, they're, they're not an active participant in creating that into form. So when you step into your position as a creator that's going to ruffle some fucking feathers because what it's doing is it's holding up a mirror to them and you're not saying this and you're probably not doing this, but the reflection in the mirror, you know, what they are perceiving through the mirror of you is all the judgments they have about themselves as to why they are not creating their life 
intentionally. And that is a spicy, spicy thing to have to sit with. Most people never do an ounce of shadow work in their life, which is why when we hit these spots of the shadow, it can be really, really confronting. And, you know, people who are not creating their life intentionally tend to not be super (laughs) self-aware. So (laughs) they tend to not actually have awareness that they are doing this, that they are reacting to your expression, to your liberation, to your creativity and your creation in such a unhelpful way. They usually don't see themselves that way. Their self-image is like, I'm great. <laughs> no, I'm such a good person. Uh, meanwhile, they're shitting on your dreams. And that there's this inevitable part of the journey where you are disengaging from those connections and you're in what is called the bardo. You are in the liminal space. You are in this pocket between what was and what will be, um, but you're not quite at the, the new destination yet. And so when people are in the bardo, when they're in this liminal space, that's when you know, it can get really, really sticky and really, really compressed. And this is where we run the highest risk of abandoning our authenticity in order to belong. Now, I 10 out of 10 do not recommend. However, if this happens, it's a normal part of the process (laughs) because belonging is a primal need. And connection is a primal need. We all have this need and you're not getting rid of it. No matter how hard you try, um, your need for connection, your need for belonging is, you know, factory installed. Like it is, it's in there. You're not getting rid of it. It's not an aftermarket feature. It's, it's just part of your makeup. And so when we're in this liminal space, there might be times where we collapse our self-expression and we collapse our authenticity in order to belong, in order to have the comfort of connection, even if that connection is not very nourishing, even if that connection feels, you know, more like more disjointed than anything else, at least it's still something, right? So we have to have grace with ourselves as we traverse the terrain of the bardo. And when you notice you're doing this, the the quickest reset is to come back into your authenticity and begin creating from that spot of authentic expression again. And over time, you will get more and more comfortable at, you know, setting boundaries, communicating needs, Um, being really honest with people about who you are, what you're doing, where you're going, and if they want to come along for the ride, what is required of them. Because not everyone that you've been connected to in the past can come with you where you are headed. That's a really hard thing, right? Like We don't like to think of endings Um, as part of the creative process, but they really are, you know, I forget what that song is, um, from the late nineties, maybe early two thousands, but like every new beginning comes from some other beginnings end. And that is such a powerful anchor, you know, new things can't be birthed until we're willing to say goodbye to a chapter or a situation or sometimes even relationships that have run their course. It's not a moral failing. This is part of the creative process. And when we are creators, when we are artists of life, we have to get in right relationship with that flow, which means, you know, taking inventory on a regular basis, like I did when I was like, huh, things are feeling a little dense. They're feeling a little too serious. (laughs) We need to shake it up. 
<laughs> we need to inject some life back in here. And how can I do this in the most authentic way possible? Now, it's interesting because when I started doing this at first, there was a massive exodus of people on my page. So a lot of people didn't like the vibe. They're like, this is not what I signed up for. I signed up for these serious transmissions. And like now we're having like ridiculous memes and like like laughter emoticons 24-7 and like these sassy ass captions. Like, mm, no. But the thing is, I wanted to clear those people out. And not because they're bad, not because they're wrong, but because they are not aligned for where I'm headed. So I understand that there is this process of clearing out that has to happen. And anytime I'm about to up-level on a pretty big level, I have a phase of time where I'm getting an opportunity to close chapters, to release people, to release certain ways of being in myself, to let go of what no longer is true to have, to let go of what uh, is no longer aligned. And it's not to say that those people can't come back because sure, they can come back whenever they want. The door's always open. If, you know, they develop a sense of humor down the line. (laughs) (laughs) Or like, you know, I trust that kind of people come in and out of my life in, you know, in timelines that are true for them. Like it's not my job to micromanage this, you know, and so... Did my ego take a bit of a hit when there was this mass exodus and like my following was dropping? Of course. And this is part of the process. This is the test. And the test is like, even if it seems like things are not going your way, will you stay the course? Will you keep creating in a way that is authentic to you? And the answer was like, yes, of course. Like, I can't not. Like, this feels so good for me. And I know deep down this is deeply aligned for me. And yeah, does it suck that I'm losing hundreds of people in my community a day? Yeah. Does my ego like it? No. Um, Does my mind want to, like, take that and weaponize it against me? Yep, sometimes. And so I had to navigate this internal thing that was happening, which was, you know, these stories, these internal narratives that aren't supportive to my creative energy, but they had to come up in order for me to transform them. You can't transform anything that you cannot see or that you do not have awareness about. And so when that compression happened, when all those people were leaving as a result of like my newfound self-expression and just the more authentic self-expression for this chapter of my life, it brought up all of those narratives and stories and old programs I had about myself and belonging and my worth and, you know, any of these little tendrils that would tempt me to collapse my energy and to kind of pull back on my authenticity. And so they needed to come out into the open so that I could slay those dragons and I could meet those parts with a compassionate witness of like, yeah, shit, I I get it. I get why this narrative is there. I understand where it came from. And it's not coming with us. Like it is time to have a funeral for this part of myself. It is time to have a funeral for these thoughts, for this way of being, um, through these certain identities that I have, and let's put them in the ground. And so it's been an opportunity to really embody everything that I teach in my curriculum, specifically the self-love curriculums. 
because those self-love curriculums are designed to reorient you to have a very healthy relationship with yourself. And the best way to practice that, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, depending how you look at it, is experiencing contrast. In those moments of contrast, who do you become? What do you do? How do you treat yourself? What do you think about yourself? Like, are your emotions like rolling through in a clean way or are they getting sludgy and swampy and we're just like kind of camping out in them? And like, it just becomes like this very like stuck energy, right? Or is our mind essentially assaulting us 24 seven and beating us up and being cruel and mean? And whatever it is that happens in those phases of contrast, you need to know. You need to know what some of those default settings are, what some of those default programs are, what some of those default paradigms are. Because it's your beliefs and your paradigms that are really running the course of your life. They are what is at the creative helm until we kind of sit in the creator seat and be like, not anymore. Those patterns, those programs, those paradigms, uh, they may have gotten me here, but they are definitely not going to take me there where I want to go. And so you, again, like just like certain people or situations or opportunities or circumstances need to be cleared out. We also have to do this internal clearing, this internal cleanse where we're doing like the mental intellectual cleanse. We're doing the emotional cleanse as well. And as we kind of sit in the bar, like that's literally why the bardo exists so that you can meet all of this material and that you have space and time to work with it and transmute it, alchemize it, transform it. Because you cannot take it with you where you are going if you are going to live your life as an intentional creator. It's just not possible. Because those things that kind of come up for transmutation in that liminal space are literally the exact things that are preventing you from creating the life that you desire. It's really powerful stuff. And it, I always get excited, you know, and for me, like I'm someone who can experience multiple emotions at once. Like I can be excited about this transmutation and I can also be confronted at the same time because there are different parts that are operating and holding those pieces. So like my consciousness, my creator consciousness is the part that is excited because it understands that as I transmute these pieces and these parts and I let go of what needs to be let go of, it literally liberates my energy, it unlocks the creative faculties within me, and then what I'm able to create becomes more potent and powerful out in the world. And so I had been embracing this phase of time, and this was, it was a good like six months that this was happening, where you know, I was starting to like bring a little bit more of the sparkle back in, a little bit more of the sass, a little bit more of the spice. And every time I did, there would be a purge to my community. And I just refused to give up. I refused to give up on myself. I refused to abandon myself. I refused to let that stop me because I have faith in myself. I have faith in this process. I have done this death and rebirth thing more times than I can count. And every time I have emerged through the ashes, a more embodied version of myself, a more true version of myself. And the next level is always so immaculate and like so fucking cool. So of course I want to go through those alchemical transformations. And then around December, this was around the start of December that the pop happened 
where this one post, and it was about, you know, coming back essentially from the emotional dead after being in a phase of emotional overwhelm and like coming back into the world and being like, beep, beep, hi, I'm back. <laughs> Which is a pattern that I personally have struggled with um, throughout my life. Like I have some more avoidant adaptations when I'm hyper-stressed. Um, it doesn't come out a lot anymore, but it does come out sometimes. Uh, my go-to move is avoiding. Um, and I've really had to work with this inside of my relationships because, you know, it, it was really starting to have a negative impact on the connections that I cared about most. And so it, it was such a cool post that that was the one that kind of took off because yes, it was funny. Uh, it was playful, but it was also such an authentic expression of me because I revealed pieces of myself through that, that medium, that piece of art, that piece of content. And I really humanized that experience. And what's been so fucking cool, you know, in addition to like, obviously there's this whole influx of new people that have come on the scene that are part of my Instagram following now. But what happened on that post was nothing short of love in action. Because when you see viral posts on the internet and you go into the comment section, it is usually a dumpster fire. There are people scrapping and fighting and like it is just obscene, ugly. And that didn't happen on this post or any of the posts that went viral because there wasn't just one, <laughs> which was cool. Um, but what's happened in those comment sections and like, let's be honest, like the whole avoidant anxious thing is a thing in the internet. Avoidance often get really villainized. And I think that that is part of the problem because if you use shame on someone, it doesn't inspire change. And so anxious people tend to really use those shaming tactics, shame, blame, make wrong. Um, and they kind of dump that onto the avoidance, like they're the bad ones, um, without really taking a, a look in the mirror of how engulfing and intense their energy can be. I mean, this is a tangent for another day, but... Um, avoidance tend to get a really bad rap. And as someone who really came from like a super avoidant attachment style to coming into secure attachment and like this, this took me a while to do, but I have done it and I have been able to maintain secure attachment for over 15 years now. And occasionally some of those like old, adaptive strategies come out when I'm hyper stressed, but they never, like they don't have the same gusto that they once did because they don't sabotage my relationships. They don't take me out. At most, my avoidance might take me out for a day, maybe two. And then I'm able to kind of reboot, recover and, you know, reconnect with myself, with life, with the people in it. So a lot of the times, like if people are watching from the outside, it, it doesn't look like that's happening, even though internally sometimes it does. Um, but anyway, I digress. In the comment section, what we saw and what I continue to see is this collective of really beautiful human beings who are compassionately witnessing each other, who are extending love, who are extending generosity, who are being kind and good to each other around a topic that historically is quite charged and gets people super inflamed. There's been a lot of people who have asked questions, you know, on both sides. You know, I'm the one who does this. How do I reconnect after I've ghosted 
the people I love for so long because I have so much debilitating shame. And then we have the other side, which is like the people I love do this and I I see that they're struggling in those moments. How do I help them? And so it's opened this beautiful dialogue and one that I am definitely going to be diving more into in a couple episodes here because I just loved those questions and I, I want to give them the respect that they deserve by flushing it out a little bit more. And so today, you know, I want to tackle the piece of like coming back into connection after we've gone through this phase of emotional overwhelm and we have, you know, really pulled back or detached altogether. And so the number one thing to really keep in mind when we're wanting to reboot connection is we've got to be so honest And this is the hard part because if we have internalized shame, being honest and apologizing or acknowledging um, our impact is going to translate as I am bad and wrong when that's not the case at all. It's just you have an adaptive strategy. This is how you've learned to cope with things that are really intense And there's also likely not a lot of capacity in the nervous system. So this is where people get really fucked up because mentally and intellectually, they're like, well, I, I want to stay connected. I don't want to do this to the people in my life. But then when the stressor hits, the system is not being ruled by the mind. (laughs) And so this like automatic way of being kicks in. And when the nervous system is so full, think of it like a tank, it's so full, like there's no space for connection. There's no capacity to connect and to inform. And so part of really working with this pattern, and this is, this is what I have done, you know, because I used to be that person. I used to be the person who had no capacity. I used to be the person who, when things got really tough, I would literally disappear. And I wouldn't let people help me. I wouldn't even let them in with what is going on uh, because relying on people felt way too vulnerable. And I had been burned by that in the past as well. So like, Again, like when we have these adaptations, they've been developed, I don't want to say for a good reason, but like there is a reason why they were developed in the first place. We don't just like wake up one day and we're like, I think I'd like to just fuck off. (laughs) When, (laughs) When things get tough, like I think I just would love to disappear and keep everyone wondering and focused on me and uh, really stress them out. Yeah, that sounds like a fun thing to do. We're not doing that. You know, these are adaptations that our system comes up with in order to survive experiences that are really intense, really difficult, or too big for your nervous system at the time. So the first step is always bringing that lens of compassionate witnessing. And you have to compassionately witness yourself by starting to talk to yourself in a more compassionate and loving way about this pattern. And what that might look like is, yeah, we do this thing, don't we? And this happens for us when things get really tough. And it makes sense that we would do this given some of the things that we've gone through in our past. And it's okay. And there's, you know, maybe some new strategies, new things that we can try on in the future, but it makes sense why this is happening. And I'm here and I love you. So really training yourself to play with that internal dialogue of the compassionate witness 
is so vital in order to move through into the space where there might actually be a little bit more capacity for connection. And so we want to obviously reboot on the level of the compassionate witness, you with you. And then we want to create some capacity in the nervous system, some capacity in the emotional body. Um, Because what happens is usually the mind will go into overdrive and the mind will be overthinking, which when we're overthinking, we're underfeeling. It's a really important thing to remember. When we're overthinking, we're underfeeling. And so allowing ourselves to feel fully what is there to feel and let it run through to completion. Not milk the emotions, not get swampy with them and just like hang out and like milk them and be like, oh, I'm just like an emotional blob. No, that's not what I'm talking about, but I'm like literally like let it roll through like a wave, whether that's grief, whether that's anger, like sometimes you just need to fucking scream. Sometimes you just need to have an ugly cry. Sometimes you just need to literally shake your body and wiggle around. And so every time that you embrace one of these more somatic tools or emotional tools, You're creating a little bit more capacity in your nervous system, in your body, and in your emotional body, which once you start really playing with that, um, like designing that emotionally healthy relationship to you, your mind won't need to overthink so much because the mind is trying to protect you from feeling. And and again, that probably got developed for a good reason. There's probably a reason for that. (laughs) Maybe you grew up in a home where healthy emotional range was not modeled. And the intellect was valued over the emotional world. So then you develop a strategy to survive in that environment, to belong in that environment, which means rejecting your emotional world and overvaluing your intellectual world, which means when big feelings happen, the mind needs to find a way to shut it down. And overthinking is a great way to do that. And so when we remind ourselves like, okay, there's probably some emotional alchemy that needs to happen here. Like, can I, can I be with myself here? If you are afraid to do this on your own, There are really wonderful practitioners out there who can sit with you in these these journeys. You know, therapists are great. Certain coaches are great. I do this work in my one-to-one containers. And sometimes it comes up in the smaller containers as well if if the conditions are met. And um, we've really created a baseline of safety and we've we've clocked some good time with each other. Uh, It can happen there where there's this nice, really big emotional release and everyone does like the collective (sighs) exhale. And you can watch, you can literally watch the system rebooting. It's the coolest fucking thing. When someone actually lets the emotion roll all the way through, it like clicks back into place and you see this reboot, like, like every faculty is online and in alignment again. Humans are so fucking cool. (laughs) And so like we really do need these first two pieces before we can move into the relational aspect of it. Because if you aren't landed in your body and if you're talking shit to yourself 24-7, when you go to open up connection again, oftentimes what happens are those connections reflect to you your internal dialogue. They reflect to you the internal shame. So this might look like the other person making you wrong or like being like really agitated or just not compassionate or loving at all. And that doesn't mean that they can't have boundaries or feelings about you disappearing because it is there is an impact when we disappear there is an impact and it's important that we acknowledge that. 
And, you know, but there's a difference between like you being right with you and then opening these conversations because there's, again, then that's going to be reflected a lot of the times in how they navigate it with you. But if we're coming from this shame collapsed place, then it's usually going to bring out this more agitated, attacky, uh, not really super compassionate or loving or open energy. Okay. So this is an important piece of the puzzle. And if you don't know how to do this and you'd like to learn how to do this, reach out to me and we can discuss, you know, some possible avenues to explore that work. And I have a really cool new offering that I'm actually so excited about, but I can't tell you about it yet. It's, it's a little too soon to tell you about it, but just know in like the next month or so, there's going to be an opportunity to come in and explore all of these different layers of the work. And, uh, at a pretty reasonable price point too. Um, so I'm excited. I'll share more about that soon. But if, if that is where you're at and you're like, okay, I really need help here, then reach out, let me know. And we'll talk about it and we'll get you set up on a track that is really supportive for where you are and where you want to go. And then, so let's assume that we've got the internal compassionate witnessing down. We are allowing ourselves to have the emotional release and like create more capacity in our nervous system and somatically. Then what do we do to come back into connection with the people who we have just ghosted? Because that's really what's happened. We get overwhelmed, we turtle, we pull back, and we disappear. And on the other end, it occurs as though we have ghosted, which is not a, if you've ever been ghosted, you know that it is not a pleasant experience. And part of the reason why ghosting is so problematic is because it creates open loops in the mind. So when, like, let's use a dating example. So let's say you're going on a date and you're like not feeling it. You have two options. You can tell them you're not feeling it and that you hope they have a beautiful life, but you're not going to be in it. (laughs) Or you can ghost them. And when you have that conversation of like, listen, I'm clear that this is a no for me and I will not be going forward in any capacity. That's clear. It closes the loop. There's... Like the mind can't grab that and spin it and use it as like an internal attack. Like it, it just can't. It's, it's clear. It's complete. But ghosting leaves this massive open loop. So the person who got ghosted, their mind is literally looping in this open circuit. So like it never fully catches and closes which means a lot of their mental, emotional, and creative energy is going into the thoughts about this person. So we can get really esoteric here and we can talk about the fact that there's a bit of a farming of energy that happens there because the person who ghosted is still energetically feeding off of the energy that's being poured into the thoughts of like, well, what happened here? Like, I don't know what's going on. Like, are they okay? Are they not okay? Like what's going? And so there is this way that it's kind of extractive and it's, this is why it's so problematic. And so we want to make sure that, you know, as we become more conscious of these patterns, that we are becoming more and more responsible for the impact of these patterns. So, when you want to reboot connection, there are a couple things that you really, you have to have in your communication. Number one is you need to acknowledge the reality of what happened. So the reality is, is I ghosted you. I disappeared for X amount of days. That's the reality. And do not explain why at this point. 
There will be space for that down the line, but this is not the place to put that in. It takes away from the communication. And then you want to acknowledge the impact, the perceived impact on the other person. Try and get their world. What might have that been like for them? And like really see if you can put yourself in their shoes. Uh, the perceive, like the first thing off the bat is like, I'm sure you were worried. And like the impact of me disappearing is that, you know, I'm sure you spent a lot more time than maybe you wanted to like fixating or thinking about like, if I was okay, when I'm not answering, when I'm just kind of disappeared or, or turtling. And so really see if you can get their world. Like you know them well enough. If you know them well enough to repair, you know them well enough to understand what the perceived impact is. Then after you acknowledge the perceived impact, you want to ask about the actual impact. So this sounds like, okay, so now I want to know, like how did that impact you? And you can be as honest with me as you feel comfortable but I'd really like to understand the impact that my actions have and have had on you. And I promise not to get upset. I promise not to lose my shit. I promise not to use this against you in the future, but I'd really love it if you could be honest with me about that because I really am committed to transforming this pattern within myself. And then after they share, you know, the impact this is not a place to fight them on it. This is not a place to defend yourself because that is going to take it off the rails. So instead, all you need to say is like, ah, I get that. That makes sense to me that you would, you would feel that way and that you would be impacted that way. Thank you for telling me. That's all you need to say. And this is a process of ego death, which again... Not an easy thing, but is required if we're going to step into a life of being wildly creative and create our life intentionally and have really fucking epic relationships. We've got to be able to do this. We've got to be able to take the ego death and let it refine us, let it kind of alchemize through us. So this is one of those moments. If you need to move your body while they're having this conversation, let your body move. Be careful about letting your body fully lock up in conversations like this um, because that's just going to signal to the nervous system that you are not safe. So if you can even just like have a little sway in your shoulders or like just kind of move your upper body, just keep like a, a little minor current of movement moving through your system as they're sharing this. It'll make it so much easier to receive what they have to say, okay? And then we want to appreciate them for their generosity and having this conversation and being real with you. And then the final piece is to invite them into a secondary conversation where you co-create new relational agreements. This one is really important if you care about the health and vitality of your relationships. Most people do not have clear relational agreements and it shows. <laughs> it shows in the drama. It shows in the chaos. It shows in the misunderstandings. It just shows. And part of rebooting the connection is making a commitment to doing things differently. So you know, before we get into the co-creation conversation, it is important that you acknowledge what you are committed to going forward. And this can be worked into the new relational agreement with this person. Um, but you really need to be clear on what you're committed to doing in the future. Whether that, and I, I talked about this in my post, one of the strategies that I put in place was with my inner circle, with my core like best friends. And specifically, I have one girlfriend that I do this with in particular, where we've had so many conversations about these parts of ourselves. And we also both have more avoidant adaptations 
which I think makes it a bit easier because there is a level of understanding there with one another. And we just came up with the idea and we did this when we weren't triggered. We did this when we were in like deep resonant connection with each other. We came up with the idea of like typing SOS because for me, when I go into one of those states where I'm about to get taken under, I'm about to get swallowed up by this ad- like adaptive pattern. I, I find it too vulnerable and too tender to reveal what is actually happening. And like, I barely have any capacity. Like my impulse is to like go full on isolation, um, like ugly crying, like really, I can go into these really dark spirals. It hasn't happened now for a few years, but it still can happen. And I, I imagine that I, I might meet that spot a couple more times in my lifetime. And so we agreed that if either of us is in that spot, that we will text each other SOS. And SOS is the bat signal. It is, oh, fuck, we need to drop what we're doing and tend to connection, tend to this person. Um, And again, like we don't abuse that. Like I'm not texting her SOS when I have a minor inconvenience or I have like an ego, you know, inflammation moment. Like we're talking like we are down in the fucking dirt and (laughs) like, things are about to go sideways. And I think we've only, I've, I think I've used it maybe twice. She's probably used it about the same. And it's a code that we have that signals, this is serious. I need your help. I'm about to go under and I don't know what to do. I need you to reach out to me. I need you to be there for me. And so what that will look like if I SOS her, she will call me or she will get in touch with me. She will ask me a series of questions to make sure I'm okay. Sometimes she'll even just show up in my house. And we've done this for each other and it's really, really beautiful. But we had to create our relational agreements. And every relationship you have, uh, if you want it to be healthy, needs its own set of relational agreements, which requires a level of consciousness, a level of courage, a level of self-knowing, levels of intimacy, and um, really being brave enough to have these more emotionally intimate conversations and hold yourself to a higher standard of relating. It's, it's crazy to me that people are like, I have such high standards. And then you look and like deconstruct their relationships and their relationships have no clarity around the agreements. And to me, people who have really clear relational agreements are people who embody high relational standards, period. And, you know, we don't really get taught how to do this. We don't get taught how to create relational agreements that work. Uh, We don't get taught on, you know, what questions to ask each other, what is important to navigate, what does a relational agreement even look like. Most of us did not come from relational models where that was in play. So as adults, we have to learn those skills. And this weekend, I am teaching the next class in the Let's Talk About It series, And it is the art of relational agreements. And part of, you know, having a relationship that works is creating agreements in the first place that are authentic to you. And in order to do this, you need to know yourself and you need to be honest. (laughs) And the second piece is keeping the agreements you make. And then the third piece is reviewing those agreements on a regular basis to ensure that they are still the truest thing. And this allows the relationship itself to be like this living, breathing entity. You know, this, the relationship is something that we nourish, that we tend to, it, it has its own heartbeat. 
And when we understand that two people in this this is for romantic relationships, this is for platonic relationships, family relationships, every relationship you have requires some form of agreement to give it structure. And once you have the structure of the relationship, and like this is the cool part, you get to make up whatever the fuck you want. Like there's no set like dogmatic set of rules that I'm gonna be like, okay, these are all of the relational rules that you have to have in place. And I think that's why people resist these types of conversations because they don't want to get stuck in these dogmatic boxes and they don't realize that if you are like really in that position of being a conscious creator of your life, that translates into your relationships. It translates into you create that relational container intentionally. You get to make it up and what gets made up in the relational container is a byproduct of both people and what both people want. And my philosophy and the way that I teach, I don't do compromise. Compromise does not exist in my body of work. Collaboration, negotiation, well, those, those we play with. Those are sexy. Those are hot. Those are fun. That's playing let's make a deal with each other. It's, it's fun. It's playful. It's sexy. But compromise, compromise, even just the energetic of the word feels like a cut to connection. It's a cut off of yourself, like the connection to yourself. Like you have to give up a part of yourself in order to exist in that relationship, which I think is fucking bullshit. Um, or the other person has to do that. And like, I'm, I'm not about that life. Like that's not, there's a lot of people who will teach that. And I'm not one of those people. And I'm more interested in teaching relationships to the conscious creators, to the artists, to the people who literally see life as their fucking canvas. And they want to create the most extraordinary life for themselves and have relationships that support the mission that they are here to fulfill on. That's what I'm stoked about. That's what I'm here to do. So if that is you... I want you to come join us in the workshop this weekend. There's two ways that you can join. You can just do the workshop itself and you can come to the live session on Sunday, January 28th, and then you get a 30-day replay with that class. Or you can join the Let's Talk About It series and you get to attend that class on Sunday you also get access to all four classes that we have already done live. So they live as evergreen in the program. And so far we've done the art of collaboration, the art of listening, the art of co-creation in conflict, and the art of repair. So those four are already in the bag. You can go binge them right away. And then we have the next class on Sunday, January 28th, The Art of Relational Agreements. And then there are two more live classes in February, unless I choose to add more, which I might, <laughs> because that's very on brand for me of like feeling my way through of like, oh, no, there's this other piece that needs to be added. So if, if something like that comes up, I will be adding into that body of work. And so in February, there is a guided embodiment class that helps you clear out the emotional and energetic pipes to create more capacity in your nervous system. And so this is a guided movement journey. It is my embodied alchemy method. It is an alchemical practice. It is designed to support your transformation. 40 minutes on the mat, 40 intentional minutes. And it is fucking gold. <laughs> and then the other live workshop we are doing in February is Let's Talk About Sex. So we are going to be diving into the necessary conversations about sex and intimacy that we all need to be having, whether you are in a long-term partnership or if you are newly dating or if you are just uh, single and taking lovers, like whatever it is, like we need to be able to be fluent in our capacity to talk about sex and desire and intimacy and all of those delicious things. So we will be diving into that. I believe it's February 17th. It's a Saturday. 
So you'll get access to all those live classes, everything that we've already done, plus a series of embodiment classes designed to support you in alchemizing whatever is in the way of your fullest expression and your ability to communicate and navigate conflict really powerfully. So you can join that program. You get to keep everything for life, or you can join just the workshop for $69. You have a 30-day replay with that. You get to attend live. It's up to you. Choose your own adventure. There's a payment plan for the program. I think like the one payment is like 149 bucks a month for... I forget how many months, but um, maybe five or six months. I'm not sure. Um, But there's reasonable price points there for you, depending where you're at. And I will link this in the show notes for you all. And then next week, we will be back. And I'll be talking about, you know, how do we deal with this you know, emotional disappearing act when we are on the other side of it. So when you have people in your life who disappear, who go into emotional overwhelm, um, how do you navigate that with them? How do you support them? How do we restore connection? Uh, We're going to be talking about it from the other side next week. Uh, And until then, I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day, evening, wherever you are in space and time. And if you liked this episode, please like it, subscribe, share it. Um, It really helps when you share the podcast episode with someone that you think it would really benefit. I think that is a beautiful act of generosity and love. And it also just helps the podcast get into the the ears that need it. Um, And that's it. I love you all. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.